been almost 30 years, 28 years to be exact, when I told, well, I didn't tell him, I just kind of was obedient, and I committed to doing this thing called preaching. I know some of you guys are thinking, wow, was he called to preach when he was two? Um, basically. Uh, but I told God that day that if you ever gave me an ear that would listen, I'll preach. And the Bible says that you're supposed to be ready in season and out of season. It doesn't say you should be ready only when the rainbow is shining and everything is awesome. But sometimes you've got to be ready in the midst of the storm. And so when I called Keith on Friday and told him what had happened and I just told him, I said, hey, I'll gladly go to the funeral and fly back on Saturday and preach next Sunday if that's what, if that's what I need to do. But I just wanted you to be aware of what's going on. And, and, of course, he said, no, that's not good. Let's just switch it up because he's that kind of a leader. <laughs> and I just tell you, I, I praise God for a church that puts people in front of policy. And I think... Pastor Keith for that and leading us in that and our team has always just been that way we we love each other as a family and and I appreciate that so this morning I want to I want to talk to you we're in this this series about hashtags and I know some of you guys in here who are under 30 are thinking hashtags how 2016 of you well, there are some of us in here that still think that's a pound sign. We think that's something we push when we're paying a bill online and it says, enter your account number followed by the pound sign. Some of us in here are still confused. They're like, what? what's the number sign doing in front of that word? Is this algebra? And the ones that are laughing are over 60 because the rest of us didn't even know that was a number sign until later. But how far has the number sign come? Give it up for the number sign. Like, it's come up in the world, right? Like, so now just explain what hashtags do. It's, somebody asked me this last week, and basically when you hashtag something, it's for social media where if you go back and if you ever see someone post something on social media and you click on that hashtag, like today I'm going to talk to you about hashtag the devil made me do it. So if you see a social media post and it's hashtag the devil made me do it, if you click on that hashtag, it will take you to any post that's ever been made in the history of Facebook or the history of Instagram or the history of Snapchat or the history of Twitter, and it will take you to every post that anyone ever hashtag the devil made me do it. That's how hashtags work. They're basically just a link that gets like-minded information together where you can search out information. Sometimes we use hashtags like that. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we hashtag, hashtag an entire paragraph of text. And it's just for fun. I am guilty of that. I used to be like a hashtag hater. I'd be like, man, I'm not hashtagging nothing. I'm like, get these crazy kids, these millennials off my lawn. I'm not hashtagging nothing. I hashtag everything now. Like hashtag my shoes untied. Hashtag, I just ate an egg. Hashtag, I'm going to preach. Hashtag, I love my mama and there's nothing you can do about it. I don't care what you have to say. 
So that's what a hashtag is. I know some of y'all were asking. I just wanted to clear that up this morning. And today we're going to talk about hashtag the devil made me do it. So now when you go home, if you're on Facebook, social media, any, any type, you can hit, hit that hashtag and you can pull up all kinds of things on the devil made me do it. It's a pretty cool little invention. But today I want to start off, my wife is going to come up, she's going to help me demonstrate something. And some of you guys over 60, you're going to recognize this. And it's something that was done on television a lot. It has a little bit to do with the, the phrase, the devil made me do it. See if you can remember. Give it up, right? Thank you, baby. I love you. Yeah, you can go. Thank you. Now, somebody already said it. Who, who said it over here? What was that? Who, who is it? Flip Wilson, right? Flip Wilson. That's where the phrase like devil made me do it kind of came from. Flip Wilson, if, if you, if you want to see something funny, you want to see somebody ultra talented, you want to see somebody who, who, who just broke down racial barriers, who was ahead of his time. Flip Wilson was a comedian back in the 60s and the 70s, and he did albums. He had a variety show on television. A lot of people say that he was the very first African-American television superstar because he had his own variety show, the Flip Wilson show. And he would do this, this that was his handshake every time a, one of his guests. And it was funny, I went back and watched videos, and I loved watching some of like, the Caucasian folks try to do that when they would come on his show. It was about as awkward as what you just saw on the stage. Um, but I loved it because Flip would always do it, and it was just his way of saying hi. And he had this character on his show, Geraldine Jones. And he played, he would dress up kind of like a woman, and it was like this southern uh, woman. And, and her excuse for anything she did in her life, whether it was she would shop too much and she would buy things that her husband didn't know about. And she would always say, the devil made me do it. And it was funny. And it was hilarious. But I want to tell you this morning, it is an outright lie. Crickets. Crickets. Because the truth of the matter is, the devil cannot make you do anything. Whether it's spending too much and not having enough money for the bills, whether it's stubbing your toe on the nightstand when you get up at 1 a.m. to go use the restroom, whether it's saying something you didn't mean to your spouse, whether it's yelling at your children when you shouldn't have, whether it's cheating on your taxes, whatever it is, the devil did not make you do that. And I'm going to show you a little bit this morning how I know that the devil did not make us do that. You see, I've always had kind of an issue with this idea of the devil. Like, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, so I, was, I wasn't raised in a Christian household. I didn't really hear a whole lot about Jesus and Satan until I was in my teens. And when somebody started speaking to me about this Jesus guy who kind of seemed real because he came down and he, was, he put on flesh and bones and blood and he was real, he's a real person. But then they started talking about this Satan guy that goes around and, and, and does bad things and makes people do bad things. I was like, that can't be real. Until I hung out with two-year-olds. And I kind of understood, right? Like, some of y'all, anybody ever hung out with a two-year-old? Like, is that going over y'all's head? Do I need to bring them all in and let them run around here for a little bit? Um, 
But, it, but if you realize, if, if you pay attention, if you hang out with children and two-year-olds, you realize that there is something inside of all of us that is innately bad. Because we don't have to be taught to steal and lie and do bad things. It just happens. That's why when two-year-olds get together, they have toys, and one of them runs over and goes, that's mine. Even though it's not theirs, and they weren't playing with it, this other two-year-old's playing with it, they walk over and go, that's mine. Or if you walk into a room full of two-year-olds, and it looks like a tornado just hit the room, you go, who did that? They all go, I, I don't know, wasn't me, I didn't do it. And you're like, I know somebody in here did that. It's because there's something inside of all of us. We do not have to be taught to lie. We don't have to be taught to be mean. We don't have to be taught to steal. We don't have to be taught to do those things. Because innately, there's something in us that's broken. And so it's not the devil that makes us do it. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Here's what I want you to hear right up front. The devil is real. But here's the thing about the devil. He hates things of God. Anything that has to do with God or Jesus or love, the devil hates those things. The devil also hates the people of God. But I'll take it even one step further. The devil just hates people. And the reason for that is if you're sitting in this room, if you have breath in your lungs, anywhere throughout the history of humanity, if you have been created, if you've been born, you were created in the image of the God, the Father, the creator of everything. And because you were created in the image of the Father, the devil hates you. So the devil is real. Now, I don't think he's like this pitchfork-carrying, horn-wielding, red guy who walks around and and giggles and laughs and jabs people with a pitchfork and has all the strings that he can pull on people. That's probably not what he looks like. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe one day we're going to find out in the last war, like, oh, look, there's the devil. And he does. He's red and he has horns. He's carrying a pitchfork. How weird. I don't think that's the way it's working, but... But the devil's a lie. He hates you. He hates me. He hates the things of God. Here's what else he hates. He hates the truth. And so by me in here this morning giving you the truth, the word of God, guess what? He hates it that you will no longer have him to blame for the things that go wrong in your life. Because what happens is when things go wrong in our life, instead of growing, instead of working through those things, instead of loving, the, the, Kelly's going to bring this next week. It's going to be awesome. She's going to talk about suffering and the reason for it. Instead of us living in that and walking in that, instead of us looking at that as, as something that builds character and perseverance, we look at it and we go, the devil made me do it. And it stunts our growth. And so he wants you to have that excuse that the devil made you do it. You see, I saw this meme and it says this, everything happens for a reason. But some re- sometimes that reason is just that we're stupid animals. 
because of ourself. Turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 2. And here's the thing. I know what some of you guys are thinking. Well, what about possession, Pastor Mike? Possession. Well, I can give you a, a whole master's class on possession if you really want me to. I can give you 10 weeks full of material. And I wish somebody in, sitting in this room today might go and research it and do a 10-week life school class on, on spiritual warfare and possession. And that would be a great class. So if you're out there and the, the Lord is pulling on your heartstrings, come on, let's put you in. Let's put you in the game. But I don't have 10 weeks. I have about 15, 16, 18 more minutes. So I'll tell you this. Possession is something that we, that we can talk about, but there, there's this word in the Bible, it's, it's called demonized. And a lot of us see that as demon possession, but the, the Greek in the Bible when it talks about demon possession is actually a passive word, which means oppression. It doesn't really mean the indwelling. So I, w- I would tell you that, that there, there's, some, there's, there's some debate on that thing, like what does that mean? But I can tell you this with absolute assurance. Here's the reason why Satan doesn't use possession today because he doesn't need to. Because we're so comfortable in being mediocre that all we need a lot of times is a nudge. We're so comfortable with being comfortable, sometimes all we need is a whisper. He doesn't need to come in and take over the whole being. He just has to wreck one part of your life and we fall apart and we blame him for it. Hello? Y'all still breathing? Hey, check your neighbor, like elbow him and see if they're still alive with us this morning. Let me read what it says in James. Starting with verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Listen to this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, what happens is that it's not the devil that makes us do it. It is that innate desire inside of us that is already dictated to our will what we are going to do. And instead of blaming the devil for our own decisions, what we need to do is own up to those decisions and realize a few things about how Satan works and how we can overcome those through the things that God has already provided to us. That's the power. That's the key. It's not in blame. Because listen, what does blame do for us anyway? Even if that was true, even if the devil made us do it, what does blame do for us? Let's look back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were walking in paradise hand in hand, literally with God every day. And then the, the serpent comes into the picture and he starts to lie and steal and cheat. And he does those things that he's so good at. And he looks at Eve and he says, look, God only wants you to not touch that apple because are that fruit because he doesn't want you to be like him he wants you to not have what's best and then she gets it she eats it gives it to the man 
He eats it. And then what do they do? They play the blame game, right? Adam goes, she made me do it. Eve goes, he made me do it, pointing to the serpent. And guess what? They all got kicked out of Eden anyway. Blame does us no good. My wife is cringing right now because blame doesn't do us any good. But I don't speak like that. I say no good, and that's okay. Because my grammar is no good. But I'm going to give you a few things about Satan and how he actually does work. The first one is this. Satan works through the power of suggestion. You see, he's not up here pulling the strings. He's not, you're not a marionette in his hands. You are not a doll in which he can play with. But what he does is he suggests things to you that will get you off of the track and off of the will of God. Again, just look back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were walking hand in hand with God. He didn't have to, I don't know about you, but I have, not, I have yet to see a serpent that has opposable thumbs. So he didn't walk up over to the tree and pick the fruit, take it over to Adam and Eve, put it in their mouth, and work their jaw for them. Nope. He just said, guess what? You can be like God. He just doesn't want you to have the best. He suggests to them that there was something better on the other side. He suggests to them that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. He didn't have to possess them. He didn't have to come all the way over them. He just says, listen, shh, go get what you deserve. And he does that to us all the time. I've seen so many marriages wrecked because the power of Satan comes in and goes, shh, She's better than your wife. He, he works harder than your husband. I've seen so many lives and businesses wrecked because he goes, listen, you don't have to pay all those taxes. The government spends it ridiculously anyway. I've seen too many people get wrecked Because Satan is the master of the power of suggestion. He doesn't have to do anything else. And so we do that and he he just suggests to us. And because our will and, and our innate desire is always bent toward the sin, we fall for it and we go, he made me do it. So he has this power of suggestion over us. The second thing is he has the power of deception. The power of deception. John 8, 44 says, You are the father, or you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, there's this power of deception. And what happens in this this idea is that we agree with the lies that Satan tells us. 
The deception is he begins to not, Satan won't whisper into your ear and say, hey, you're a child of God. Hey, you've been redeemed. Hey, Jesus already paid the price. Hey, the battle's already won. Hey, you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. No, he whispers in your ear and you begin to say agreements. You see, Satan has no power over you, only that which you give him through the power of agreements. Think of your life as a house. And Pastor Keith does a wonderful job of explaining this to us at times. Or he does a wonderful job all the time, but he explains it to us at times. And so he says, think of yourself as a house. The front door is kind of like those agreements. You can't, Satan can't get in the front door unless you open it up. It's kind of like a vampire. Like you can't get in unless you invite him, right? Some of y'all like, some of y'all like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But we make these agreements, we say things like we have a bad relationship and all of a sudden we make an agreement and go, I'll never love again. Oh. Or we do something and we fail at it and we go, I'm not good enough. Or we browse on Instagram or Snapchat and we go, man, I'm not pretty enough. I'll never live up to that expectation. Our parents, we look at our kids and we say things like, they'll never do that. They'll never be like that. And we make these agreements with with the devil that we don't even know that we're making and their footholds in our life in which allows allows him to come in our life and suggest with this power of deception that we are less than what God created us to be. That's the power he has on, on you and it's only given to him when you agree with him in those things that are not of God. Because he is the father of lies. And it's easy to do, isn't it? I've been there. I, I catch myself sometimes thinking, man, I'm not good enough to do that. I did that when, when I started planting churches. And we planted three churches in our lifetime, all of varying successes. The first one never got off the ground. We took a group of people to Alabama and, and, and decided after about eight months that the church wasn't going to work out. And so we left and went back and, and was on staff at another church. We planted another church in Sundance, Wyoming that took off very fast. In about, in about three months, we run about 125 people in a town of 800. God was blessing it. It was awesome. It was going great. We hired a pastor to take over that. We left there. We went and planted another church in Charlotte, North Carolina in, in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And I don't know if you've noticed yet, but I'm a white pastor. And so we, we were there, and, and it was a struggle, and it was hard. And about, and about eight months in, I told myself, I can't do this. I'm not the right color. And God, God, God really got on to me about that with the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, listen, I didn't call you here because you're black or you're white or you're brown or you're yellow. I called you here because I anointed you to do good works, and this is where I want it done. Amen. 
And I had to repent of that agreement in which I had made with, with the devil at that time. And because of that, Satan told me I wasn't the right color, and that's not of God. And so I had to repent of that agreement. And because of that, God brought another man on our team who was an African-American, and me and him started working together, and we showed racial reconciliation. And because of that, there's a church there to this day that that man now leads, and God is blessing and doing good work. Amen. Yeah, you can give God all the praise. But I feel like there are some people in here this morning who have made agreements with the author of deception. But he doesn't make you do it. Your will is what makes you do it. And lastly, he's a, he, he has the power of accusation. The power of accusation. And we see this in, in Luke 4. And you guys, if you've been around the Bible for five minutes, you probably heard this story. It's where Jesus and Satan had kind of their epic encounter. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And the Spirit, the Word says in Luke 4 that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was led by the Spirit out into the desert. And then all of a sudden, Satan shows up, which he often does at our weakest moment. And Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. I don't know about you, but if I miss lunch, I'm pretty hungry. Like, I act like I need to be sponsored by a family in the suburbs because I just missed lunch. Like, that's my problem. I couldn't imagine going 40 days without eating, and then all of a sudden, this, this deceiver of deception and of lies and of accusation comes and starts to tempt me. And he starts to accuse Jesus of things. The first one's pretty simple. He accuses Jesus of being hungry. Duh, Right? And he says, if you are who you say you are, you can tell that rock to turn to bread, the stone to turn to bread, and you can eat it, and you can fulfill your desire of hunger. And Jesus just answered him and said, man does not live on bread alone. And then second, he, he not only says, he, he not only does that, then he says, these are all the kingdoms of the world. He, took, he takes him above everything and says, look, all these kingdoms of the world, I have the authority over all of this stuff. And if you'll just bow down to me, I can give it all to you. And Jesus, uh, at that time, Satan is accusing Jesus of not having any power. And so he says, I can give you all the power in the world that you need. And Jesus says that, that I shall not bow down to anyone but God. And then he goes on, he says, listen, he takes him up to the highest point of the temple, and he says, throw yourself off of this temple, because I know the angels will protect you, and you won't even strike your heel on a rock. He's accusing Jesus of being too safe and comfortable. And Jesus looks at him and says, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. See, it's funny that he accused him of the three things that are three of the things I think we even struggle with today. Like physical sustenance. We all need that, right? We need water. We need bread. Can I tell you something this morning, church? I believe some of the times the reason why we don't have the power as we should in the North American church is because we don't understand the spiritual discipline of fasting. We don't want to go without. 
And God has blessed us with all kinds of things, all kinds of, of, of stuff. And we don't want to go without, so we don't understand the spiritual, the discipline of fasting. And so for Lent, we give up chocolate. I don't know about you, but I know this is going to hurt some people's feelings. But I don't need chocolate to survive. If I go without chocolate, it doesn't make me move closer to Jesus. We'll do things like give up our favorite TV show for Lent. Jesus fasted for 40 days before he took on Satan in that moment. And yet we give up chocolate. You remember when the, when, when, when the disciples were trying to cast out the demons? And Jesus came, they, they came to Jesus and said, why can't we do that? Jesus shows up, boom, demon gone. He said, Jesus, why can't we do that? He said, some of this stuff has to be done with what? Prayer and fasting. I don't think he said that by accident. I don't think he threw it in there as like, I'll just give them one more thing to do. There's something about it that says when we, when, we, when we take something away from our own life that we need, where we're like, man, I have to depend on God to make it this one moment, make it this next moment, make it this next moment. I'm not going to make it if I don't have power from Jesus. There's something that happens when that happens. And when we do that, we stop blaming the devil and we start focusing on Jesus because that's the only thing that will sustain us. Second thing was power. A lot of people want power today. And Jesus told Satan, or Satan told Jesus, I'll give you all of this. And I think some of us get confused. We're like, oh, I, I cheated on my taxes. Oh, I cheated on my wife. Oh, I, I didn't do that right because, because Satan told me I was going to get it. I was going to get better things. Everything was going to be great. And so Satan made me do that. No, your will made you do it. And just like Jesus, some of us need to begin to say to ourselves, I will not bow down to anything but God. And then the last one is safety. We're too comfortable. And he accuses us that, oh, it's okay to stay comfortable. These are things we need, right? We need cushy chairs. We need air conditioning. We need the comforts of life. I don't want to give till it hurts. God, I need 100% of my money. And so we need these things that cause us to be safe. And the devil begins to accuse us and say, oh, God just wants your money. God don't need your money. Oh, God... God doesn't want you to be, to be powerful, to be successful. God doesn't want you to be in love. God doesn't want you. Satan begins to accuse you of those things. But Jesus, pretty simply, he just answered him, God is in control. You see, Satan, Jesus didn't play with Satan. He didn't argue with him. He didn't blame him for tempting him in the desert. You know what he did? He quoted scripture to him. And I know you hear, and I tell students this all the time, you, you hear people say, well, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And I've, I've heard people say, well, the Bible's not even, why would I even read that? It's not even relevant for today. 
I don't know, it worked for Jesus when he was confronted by Satan, the father of lies and deception and accusation, and he used the same things that he still uses against us today. And Jesus didn't play with him. He didn't argue with him. He didn't try to tell him, well, this is the way it's going to be. Nope, he quoted the word of God to him, and he had to flee. But yet we'll play around and blame Satan for the things that happen in our lives. So here's what I want to do. I want to replace the hashtag, the devil made me do it, with the hashtag, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. And here's the thing. I'm going to go back to John, or James 1, verse 12. This is the good news. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. For when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Satan can't make you do it. He can lie to you. He can deceive you. He can accuse you. But he can't make you do anything. Because the power comes from the Holy Spirit. So you've got to realize three things today. And this is where we end right here. You've got to realize three things. The first one is this. Realize who has the power. The power comes through the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells the disciples. You remember this? He tells the disciples. He says, look, I have to go. But when I go, I'm going to send to you the counselor, the guide. The one who's going to give you wisdom and discernment, who's going to give you power, who's going to give you strength, who's going to give you rest. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. The thing about that innate desire inside of you to sin, that innate desire inside of you to be bad and to do things like lie and steal and cheat, that desire is overtaken by the power of the Holy Spirit when you accept Christ into your life. And as you grow and develop and depend more on him and depend more on him and lean more on him, the Holy Spirit begins to overtake even your will. And so those things that you want to do are now the things that God wants you to do instead of the things that Satan wants you to do. So you have to stop blaming him and start depending on Jesus. Because the power comes from the Holy Spirit. You have to realize where your power comes from. Your power comes simply from this, obedience. Obedience. You see, God doesn't want the richest. God doesn't want the most talented. God doesn't want the most beautiful. God wants the most obedient. You just got to say, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Here's all the rooms in my life, God. Take them all. And then lastly, some of you guys have to realize the agreements that you've made that you need to release. And so the band is going to come up And they're going to play us a song this morning. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Some of you guys are sitting here today. And one, you've never really asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life and take control of every area of your life. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Some of you guys are sitting here this morning and you've made agreements in your relationship, in your businesses, in your life, with your families. And you need to renounce those agreements today in the name of Jesus.
and stop blaming the devil for the things that you've agreed to and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to repair that so that he can make you whole. We have an amazing ministry here. It's called the Wholeness Ministry. And if you're struggling with those things, we, I just invite you to call the church, make an appointment with Pastor Keith, Pastor Derek, with, with uh, Miss Denise. She's great at the wholeness ministry. They will pray you through these things. They will talk about agreements with you. They will, they will run your whole family through it if that's what's needed. But this morning, you need to come on and release those agreements you've made. And let God take them. That's the step, first step to being whole. Because the devil didn't make you do it. Because he's a liar. But you need to be obedient with your will in your entire life. Will you stand with me this morning as we pray? I'm going to ask our prayer warriors to come on down. And if you need prayer this morning, you can come down and somebody will pray with you. Or if you just want to come down on your own and pray, that's fine too. Nothing magical or mystical about the altar. It's just a place where you can get prayer. Somebody can agree with you and what you're trying to do. Give you next steps. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to play the song. And I just invite you to come if you wish. Father God, I just thank you again for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that Jesus has defeated death defeated the grave, defeated sin, defeated all the power that Satan believes he has on us, defeated all the power that we might think Satan has on us. Father God, you want nothing but the best and wholeness and life and abundant life for us, Father God, because you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome those things that we struggle with. Jesus, I pray if there's any among us today that do not know you, they will find love and grace with your spirit this morning. I pray if there's any among us that need to renounce some agreements that they've brought into their life, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they would renounce those things this morning, Father God. Move in this place with your spirit in Jesus' name.